put your tomatoes away. Uh, don't, yeah. Um, so I asked Josh to stay playing because um, I feel like there's some unfinished business um, from the worship. Um, both Barry and Vicky spoke about fear and fear as it pertains to sin and I feel like there are still some people that are struggling with, with that um, so I don't want to move away from that just yet because the Bible says you know it's important that we, we understand what the, the Bible says and it's important then that we live in accordance with what the Word of God says. Because Jesus says in John chapter 8 and verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And we have a choice, therefore, whether or not we're going to live in freedom. Whether we're going to be free from what God has set us free from that sin that can enslave and that can pull us back or are we going to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ that he has afforded on the cross for us and if that's you this morning I really want you to leave here different There's no point in us coming here if we're not going to be transformed by the Word of God. There's no point in us opening the Scriptures to see what the Word of God has to say to us if we're not going to be changed by the Word of God. And God wants you to live in freedom. He says that I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. And what that looks like is freedom in who He's called you to be. And if you are constantly enslaved and in fear of what you've done or the past, God's not surprised by that. God's not surprised by the things that you may have done or the things that you've, that you've, that you did last night or the time before. And you might say, yeah, but I keep doing it. And God says, I'm not surprised by that. But when will you accept what my son did on the cross? Because the work of Jesus Christ on the cross was final. He did it once and for all. And when the veil was torn in two, as Vicky mentioned this morning, that gave us eternal access. We can choose whether or not we're going to accept that access or are we going to be enslaved by a lifestyle that's not befitting of who God has called you to be or a character that's not who God has made you to be because we've been made in his image, amen? Amen. And so we ought to live like that. I really feel that if that's you this morning, I believe there are some people in here this morning and God's saying it's time for freedom. It was for freedom that you have been set free. Let's make a change. Let's decide this morning before, even right now in this moment, let's decide that God, I'm going to live a life of freedom through the Holy Spirit. Because that's the thing, I mean, we're going to touch on it today and I don't want to go too deep into it, but ultimately it's the empowerment that we get through the Holy Spirit that will enable us to, to live that life of freedom. Because for so many of us, 
we can attest to the fact that in and of ourselves we've, we've messed up. In and of ourselves we can't do it, hence why we keep falling back. But the power of the Holy Spirit, who God has sent to, to us, will enable us to live that life that he has decided and he has bought for us on the cross. What a wonderful thing that is. That we can live in the freedom that Jesus Christ has bought for us by shedding his blood on the cross. Amen. 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 Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to go, but anyway, sounded nice enough. Um, you are going to have to bear with me this morning. I am um, decidedly under, under the weather. I've got two kids under two. <laughs> Um, and therefore, you know, I'm living with flea bags. Um, I love them, but it comes a point where it's like, chill out, stop picking things up. Anyway, um, and then it's the the lack of um, was it manners and sneezing and all that. Just wait, wa- wanting them to pick up, cover your mouth, and anyway, we'll get there eventually. Um, so yeah, you're gonna be- have to bear with. I don't know what my voice sounds like. It sounds it. I'm sure it doesn't. <laughs> um, let's pray. Um, God, we thank you for the opportunity to turn to your word this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to see what you have for us in your word. God, let only you be heard this morning. Let only what you have to say to your children, to your people be heard this morning. Let nothing outside of what you've decided to say be heard this morning. In Jesus' name. So we're continuing with our series, God Knew You. Um, You can probably see what we tried to do there. Something fancy with with the play on words. Is it on there? Is that me? No? No? (laughs) Right, we'll continue. Um, And so, right, I'll pick up one of the... uh, Hello. Ooh. That's decidedly louder than it was before. Right, so um, as we always do, let's start by saying our declaration together. Um, Is it on screen? Wicked. I am a child of God, so I am entitled to all the benefits that brings. Right now, I'm ready to listen to all that God has to say to me and to respond with faith, belief, and be changed by his word. Amen. Fantastic. Um, You know, that's not just a mantra that we start to say every every service. And if it has become that for you, um, challenge yourself (laughs) um, and check your heart. Um, Because it ought not to be the case. Um, But as you've probably heard a thousand times by by this point in the year, it's a new year, everybody. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, And there are some of you that will be decidedly frustrated by being reminded about that this morning. Um, But we're going to talk about New Year's and New Year's resolutions, um, because actually research suggests that 60% of people set New Year's resolutions. Um, And so if you've got a row of 11, that means seven people out of the row of 11 would have set New Year's resolutions. And so if there are 7.7 billion people on the earth, 
over four and a half billion people have set a New Year's resolution this year. Um, and so even though it's probably frustrating for a lot of people to be reminded again that it's, it's a new year and yes, 2020, it's a new decade. Yes, we believe that fact. Um, a lot of people are setting New Year's resolutions. And for myself, as I, um, I guess it's customary for me to do prior to starting the new year, I began to think prayerfully about what I want the new year to look like um, and to ask God what he would want to do in the new year. Um, and then I started to think about resolutions and ultimately what, what that would look like and to, to some degree began to grow slightly uneasy with the concept of a New Year's resolution. Um, because what most people mean by a New Year's resolution is that I'm going to muster up all the willpower that I've got in order to achieve something. And so if we're Christians in this place, I'm not sure that's something that we should be doing in the traditional sense. And the reason I say that is because when you think about your life and if you're a Christian, your salvation, what your theology ought to be or what your, or what your biblical standpoint as it, as it relates to sin and salvation is that you realized or came to the realization that you needed a savior. And so if you are living the Christian life, what you also say is that you are going to be led by the Holy Spirit in living a Christian life. You accept and you understand that you cannot do it through your own strength. And so ultimately, for a lot of people, whether you're Christian or particularly for Christians that are setting New Year's resolutions in a traditional sense, as you're saying, at the start of a new year, I'm deciding to live a non-Christian life. Because you're saying, through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to live my whole life through the power of the Holy Spirit. However, as I set this resolution, I'm going to do it through my own strength and my own willpower. And so... I want to challenge us to begin with, with that. Are we doing or setting resolutions or goals in the appropriate manner? Because there is an appropriate manner in which we say that we're going to achieve certain things. And so if you turn to the book of 2 Thessalonians in chap chapter 1, we're going to read the Christian context within which we should make resolutions or resolve to do a thing. This is Paul's letter to the Thessalonian church. Um, and he says, To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for God and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to his grace, sorry, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So reading this passage, it becomes immediately clear that a resolution is not inherently a bad thing. To resolve to do something is not a bad thing. There are many examples of people who resolve to do something within the Bible and God blessed their resolve to do a thing. But what we see in this passage is the practical context within which we should set our resolutions or the way in which we should go about deciding to do things. And I guess at this juncture, I want to make the distinction between a New Year's resolution and a resolution in general. 
And the reason why I want to do that is because nothing magical happens from the 31st of December to the 1st of January. All right? When the clock ticks over, nothing happened to you that was not happening a second before. All right? Uh, so let, let's not fall foul. I mean, time is our constraint. Time is how we measure things. God is not confined to our measurements of time. He wasn't surprised that the, the, the clock ticked over and said, oh, got to get in gear. All right? So nothing happened magically from December the 31st to January the 1st. And so why I want to make that distinction is because we can resolve at any point to do something for God. You can decide right now and you haven't lost any time. Yeah? You haven't lost 12 days or so because you didn't do it on January the 1st. So looking at this passage, my internal temperatures are soaring. Anyway, <laughs> looking at this passage, the sheer fact that Paul mentions a resolve says that it's a good thing says it's not something that we should avoid, but it's something that we should seek to do in the appropriate manner. Because ultimately, if we decide to do a good thing, but it's all for the wrong reasons, that good thing is no longer a good thing. If we decide to do something that is appears good or appears right or appears appropriate on the surface, but the underlying motivation, the driving force behind it is not good or is not what God would have us do, then ultimately that thing is a bad thing. So if you're making notes, there are four things that um, I want to pull out from this passage. Uh, there are four things that I believe God would say to us about how we should approach this sub subject or topic of a resolve. Um, and I guess if you're listening to this on the podcast get your notepads out as well uh, because at any point we can we can hear what God is saying to us and so when we read verse 11 Paul says that our God may make you worthy of his calling can fulfill every resolve for good so the first thing when deciding upon a resolution is that you have to understand that God has already prepared good things for us to do it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 that God created us in Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to walk in. And so if we're to walk in those good works that God has called for us to do, that means there are things for us to walk out and to step out in. And what really the question therefore or the, the responsibility that lies on us is to say, God, what, it is, what is it that you would have me do in this time? If God has prepared your life and, and prepared the things that he wants you to do, then really it's not for us to pluck out of thin air something that feels like a good idea. What is responsible or, 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 what, or what we should be doing cheers, babe, um, is saying, God, what would you have me do in the allotted time that you would decide for me to, to do it? Because like we said, God's not constrained by time. And so if God says, I've got a vision for you to walk out over the next 24 months, that's okay. If he says, I've got a vision for you to work out in the next three months, that's equally okay. But we have to start in the place of saying, God, what is it that you would have me do? 
And so if you look back at your resolution list or your list of things that you want to accomplish in 2020 and none of them started in the place of God, are these the things that you would have me do? Let's go back and revisit that list. As I said, I, I, I entered the year praying and saying, God, what would you have me do in the next period of time? And not to say in 2020, but God, what, what would you have me do? Some of the things are a continuation of what he's already asked me to be doing and some things are new, but that's fine because he's the one who prepared the work for me to do. And so what I must do is decide that if my life is for the glory of God, that I therefore need to walk in and work out what God has prepared for me to do. Because I guess it's contrary to popular belief and contrary to what the world suggests, but we're really not in control of our lives. And for a lot of us, that's a difficult concept and a difficult thing to get our head around because we've been brought up from the age of school age to be independent and take control and take hold of your future and go after it. And in some senses, that's true, but in the ultimate sense, it's not. If you're a child of God, you need to live out the plans and the purposes that God has prepared for you. And part of that is doing the things that he's asked you to do, whether that's in your workplace, in your lifestyle, or within the community that he's placed you in. Are we seeking to glorify him and do what he has asked us to do? Even Jesus Christ on this earth said, I do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. And so if Jesus Christ, the one that we serve, can say that he does nothing except what the Father tells him to do, who then are we to decide that we're going to do whatever we feel like and then come to him on a Sunday morning and be like, God, I praise you and worship you. When our lifestyle doesn't match the confession that we continually make. Because, for example, if you say you want to lose weight, a lot of people say that. That's a good thing inherently. However, if your motivation is so that you can be aesthetically pleasing in whatever you decide that, that needs to be or so that you can prove somebody wrong, there's a problem there. As opposed to wanting to lose weight because you understand through the word of God that your body is a temple of the living God and so you want to glorify God in and through your body, there are different positions that relate to the same exact thing. Or, for example, if you're in work and you say, I want to get promoted do you want to get a promotion because you want to prove to everybody how great you are and how intellectual or how smart you are? Or do you want to get a promotion because ultimately you realize that when the Bible says in all that you do, do live and serve as if you're serving God, does that, is that what then translates to you going to work and ultimately being one of the standout employees or whatever? You see that? They're the same thing, but the motivation, the driving force behind them is totally different. And so ultimately, it has to be what God has called us to do and is, is placed on our heart to do. And so when we look back at the passage, it says, and the second thing that I want to pull out is it says, every work of faith. Paul says, if you read, read the whole sentence, it says, to this end, we pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith. Now, a lot of us understand and know what faith is, but for those that don't, the Bible says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
That means that I'm assured, I'm confident, I'm standing on the foundation of a promise. It says the conviction of things that are not yet seen. That means I'm persuaded beyond persuasion or whatever that ever means. I'm persuaded of the thing that I'm yet to see. I'm, pers- I'm fully convinced there's no further conviction that I need in order to know that the thing that God has promised for me will come to pass. And yet, we are talking about action. It starts with an assurance of a promise, but it looks like action. Because the Bible tells us that your faith without works is what? For the church in here. The Bible says for your faith without works is dead. Non-existent. It's a false hope that's, that demonstrates that you don't actually believe what, what God is saying. Because what we're required to do is take active steps towards achieving the thing that God has called us to do. And so if you have a promise or there's something that you believe God is calling you to this morning and you're taking no steps towards it, do you really believe what God is saying? Because we all say we've got faith, but when we look at our lives, does it demonstrate the faith that we profess? Or is it more comfortable for God and to align all the, all the ducks in a row so that we know exactly what we're going to be doing from step to step? And for the most part, I don't see that in the Bible when I, when I read it. Abraham, for example, was given a promise and he went. And as he went, God revealed the steps that he should be taking. God said, go to the land that I will show you. Didn't tell him what land he was going to, but he already stepped out. Took his family with him, uprooted everybody to pursue and to, and to go after what God has called him to. And so in our lives... When we have asked God what he wants us to do, are we then taking steps of faith? Are we then taking action in line with the promise? And this applies to every single person in this room. Whether you're in college or high school, or whether you're one of the oldest people in this room, every single one of us have things that God is calling us to. And for every single one of us, a lot of that will look like taking steps or steps of faith and taking action in line with what we believe God is calling us to. And so really, I want to challenge you. I want to stir you up to say, God has called you to something. I don't know what God has spoken to you about or what you're praying about or what you've, what you've heard God say or what God has spoken to you through his word, but God has spoken to you about something Are you taking action in line with that thing? Are you taking active steps that say, God, I believe your promise. I have faith in what you're saying to me and therefore I'm going to take action. Or is it more comfortable for you to just go through the mundane and go through the day-to-day and day-to-day and look back in five years' time and say, oh, if only I'd accomplished this thing. Because for a lot of us it is. And yes, life happens and, and, and things that are outside of our control happen. Yes, absolutely. But that ought not to stop us from going after the things that God has called us to. 
and whether you need to get people in a, around you that will support you and continue to pray for you and lift you up. But we ought all to be going after the things that God has called us to. Because it's not about your willpower. The Bible says not by might, not by power, but by, his, by the Spirit of God. Amen? What does that mean? That means that it's not because of who you are. It's not because of the skills and the abilities that God has given to you. They're important, yes, and God will use them for his glory, but it's not because of your, your inherent abilities. It's because of who he is, and it's through him that we will accomplish the things that God has called us to. So to recap, number one, we ought to seek the face of God and ask God and say, God, what would you have me do in this time? And when you've done that, don't sit on your laurels. Don't rest on your laurels and wait around for that thing to happen. Take steps of action and steps of faith in going after that thing. Amen? Apologies. And the third thing that I want to pull out from that passage, it says, every work of faith by his power. Vicky spoke last week about relying on the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. And if you're listening to this on podcast, maybe start with Vicky's message and come back to today's message. Uh, because she mentioned that as a Christian, she said as Christians, we have a choice to make. In situations, we have a choice to make, and absolutely. But I'm going to add to that and, and say, actually, if we're Christians in this, in this room, or on the podcast, <laughs> wherever you're listening to this. Do you really have a choice whether you live by the Spirit? I know we, we often decide and there's a battle between the flesh and the Spirit, but if we're really going to live a Christian life, do we have a choice whether or not we live by the Holy Spirit? I know we like to think we do, but if we're really going to live a Christian life. Because ultimately, if, if we could choose whether or not we, we rely on the Holy Spirit, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. But God, in his infinite wisdom, gave us the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to live a life that is designed by God for the glory of God, we don't have a choice whether or not we, we live by the Holy Spirit. But yet we have a choice to choose life and to live by the Holy Spirit. Whether we sow to the flesh, which the Bible says is death, or we sow to the Spirit, which the Bible says is life. And ultimately that's the choice. The choice is between life and death in the sense that it can be in the very morbid sense of life and death, but it can also just be in the sense of growth or stagnation. Whether you're going to grow in a particular area of your life or you're going to stay and regress. Because really you don't just stay where you are, do you? You're either regressing or you're progressing. And so what we see is that we have to live 
this life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're deciding that God has said actually that he does want you to lose weight this year or in this next period of time, whatever that looks like, because sometimes a year can cannot be what it what you thought it was going to look like. <laughs> but when God's saying that I want you to exercise self-control, which is a which is the fruit of the spirit in how you eat or consistency in how often you do physical exercise or whatever that might look like it's not because you've got willpower it's not because you've you've you're paying your money every month it's because the holy spirit enables you to be consistent and whether or not you do get a promotion in work because you've been serving as unto God and rather than taking 35 minutes when it's a 30 minute break or 40 or 50 minutes when it's a 45 minute break or when you're sat at your desk whether or not you aimlessly scroll through social media if it's irrelevant to your 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 job but you're conscientious in serving and fulfilling all that you've been you're there to do because you're serving not your boss but your God that's through the power of the Holy Spirit because every one of us can get bored, right? Every one of us can be like, oh, I'd rather not be here this morning. Monday morning turns around and you, and you don't want to go into work, but, but you go anyway because you've got bills to pay. But it's the Holy Spirit that will enable us to do the things that we should be doing when we're there. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to serve even when we don't want to serve. And what that therefore means is we ought to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. And that looks practically like saying, God, help me this morning. (laughs) And then on Tuesday morning, God, help me this morning and throughout the day. And that point where you feel like your concentration's waning, saying, God, help me to serve you. Help me to to work as though I'm serving you, to, to work as, as, as if I understand and know that you are with me all the time. And help my example of who you say that Christians ought to be, to be an appropriate one. And not one when people ask you, oh, you're Christian. Like, oh, couldn't, couldn't tell, mate, couldn't tell. <laughs> but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that will enable us to do anything that we ought to do because we start with God and then we move with God. We don't move in our own strength to accomplish God's plans and purposes. That would be odd, right? (laughs) I think it's odd anyway. And so, I guess the final thing that we see in this verse or in this passage is in chapter 1 verse sorry 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 12 it says so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you the ultimate motivation the ultimate driving force for anything that we do has to be for the glory of God you see even Jesus again says in John chapter 3 and verse 30 he says he he being God the father must increase and I must decrease 
Again, if Jesus Christ can understand that God must be seen through him whilst he's on earth. That means that Jesus Christ, as our example on this earth, is saying, God, all that I do must be for your glory. And again, we fall into this trap that it's about us or it's about who we are and it's got nothing to do with that. God will use our skills and our talents and our abilities and and the gifts that he's given us. But all of that has to be brought under subjection of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is all of that must be brought under the control of the Holy Spirit. So if you're the sort of person that says what you what you feel like, that that doesn't hold back, are you bringing that temperament, that character of yours under this under the control of the Holy Spirit? Your skills and your intellect that God has blessed you with, are you using that to demonstrate how great you are, or are you using the intellect that God's given you? for his glory, to say things when you ought to say them and say nothing when you ought not to say anything. Bringing your skills and abilities under subjection of the Holy Spirit will do far more for you than they will do in and of themselves. Because there's always someone smarter. (laughs) There always is. There's always someone more hardworking. But that's not the point. The point is we use the gifts and abilities that God has given us for his glory and has, as he directs us in order to bring glory to him. Because that has to be the ultimate driving force. I'm saying, God, that I want to, I want to achieve this, I want to do this, but I want it to be for your glory. I want you to be glorified in my life in this time period. And so if that's not the driving force behind what you do, if that's not the the motivation behind what you're seeking to achieve, then there's a problem. We need to start and end at the point where we say, God, my life needs to be for your glory. And we can get caught up in the day-to-day, but let's continue to go back to the place where we say, Jesus, be the center of my life. Be the motivating factor as I go to work, as I do the day-to-day things that I do every single day. Lord, be glorified in what I'm doing. These guys that I've now got up to play, are they playing because we just end end the service with a song? Or are they doing that because they want to glorify God even as we end the service. As we sing songs, are we singing songs in church because it's just what we do or are we saying, God, I've got the opportunity to glorify you in my worship this morning. As you leave here and you go about your family life or you have conversations in the cafe, are you doing that because it's just something you do or are you saying, God, in how we interact, let your glory be seen? Because the Bible says that the world will know that we're children of God by how we interact with one another. And if our motivation factor is not to glorify God, then our interactions won't demonstrate who God is. Our interactions won't point to the goodness and the awesomeness of who Jesus Christ is. And so let us understand that we start with God that we take steps and we move with God. Ultimately, it's for the glory of God. 
And if it's not that, let's revisit that list that you've, that you've written. It's fine to go back, rip it up and start with God, what would you have me do? That my life may be something that glorifies you. That in the way I interact, in the way I speak with people, in my temperament with kids that continue to sneeze in your face. Let me demonstrate something of the glory of God in how I even deal with my children. That I can point my son to God by how I treat him as a father. That I can point my colleagues to God in how I interact, interact with them as colleagues. That I can point my bosses to, to God as how I relate to them and, and I'm diligent with what God has called me to do. Because I'm not serving them, I'm serving the one who sent me and opened the door for me. Amen. Amen. Thank you.